From the EBKV studios in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you're listening to Brotherly Pod, the official podcast of BrotherlyPuck.com. Welcome to Brotherly Pod. Here it is, Thursday, April 30th. The last day of April, finally. It's been a very long month here. But uh, we got a very special episode for you here this afternoon. Uh, Anthony is joining me, uh, usually over on Flyers ADs here today. Anthony, how you doing? Not too bad, Dan. Yourself? I- I'm doing pretty good. It's starting to rain here, and it's, it's rather warm in this studio, but I'll be fine. And uh, our very special guest, uh, Flyers uh, writer... Bill Meltzer is here. Bill, how you doing? I'm doing fine. How about you? I'm doing pretty good, and I guess they want to open this up with the same question I've asked all of our guests lately, and uh, that's, how you holding up? What is Bill Meltzer doing to keep himself busy during quarantine? Well, I, I am, you know, thankfully staying staying busy. If you look on the uh, Flyers official website, flyers.nhl.com, we have content on there virtually every day. Um, yesterday, I had a, a, a one-on-one opportunity to speak with Alain Vigneault. So uh, that that was one of the topics for today. And we're doing a series of profiles on every player in the team. Today was uh, Philippe Meyer's turn. So that that's on the site as well today too. And so there's pretty much something, you know, every, every day to do. And still writing for Hockey Buzz, still working with the Flyers Alumni Association. So, uh, you know, I stay busy, but I do very much miss – Missed the chance being at being at the rink, seeing you know, seeing the guys there, seeing my colleagues. That's uh, that's uh, you know that that's pretty tough, and I think we're all anxious to get going if and when if and when we can. So, Bill, it's no secret that given where the Flyers were around 15 months ago when Chuck Fletcher took over this team, they have taken a pretty massive step forward. I think anyone would say that. So I ask you, what was Chuck Fletcher able to do when he came in in December of 2018 in the first calendar year almost and have such a pulse for what this team needed? You know, he brought in Alain Vigneault at coach. He brought in Kevin Hayes, Justin Braun, Matt Niskanen, all moves that seemingly paid off in aces. What was he able to see that Ron Hextall didn't or was just Ron Hextall not ready to take that step that Fletcher clearly was? Well, I think that, um, you know, he took a lot of the things that Hexy did. Hexy left him with a very good farm system, right? He left him with uh, a lot of draft pick assets and, and young players on the team. Where I think that he took it, the next step was he hired, uh, you know, an experienced, very capable head coach in, in Vino uh, and also put together, put together an experienced coaching staff. Um, Fletcher and Vino did it together. You know, whereas when when Hexy hired um, Dave Haxtell for a, a pretty significant period of time, the Flyers had no one on staff who had ever been a professional level head coach. You know, guys that had a lot of experience as assistant coaches, but nobody had ever been a head coach at a pro level. Um, you know, it's it's pretty much the polar opposite now, where um, you know Michelle Terrian has been an NHL head coach, Mike Yo has been an NHL head coach. You know, and to have that experience in, in combination with uh, Vino, who's, who's taken two different teams at the Stanley Cup Finals, he's been a Jack Adams winner. He's been the head coach of teams that have that you know, have won the President's Trophy in the regular season. You know, so he, he has a lot of know-how and ability, and and you know, 
so he had instant credibility with the group and I, I'm not, you know, I'm not trashing the previous regime or anything like that, but the experience absolutely has made a difference. Um, the second thing that I think that, um, Chuck Fletcher did is that he didn't necessarily go for the big splashy moves, except for maybe, uh, the Kevin Hayes acquisition. And even that had its critics, but the, the things that he, he set out to do first and foremost was he wanted to cut the team goals against average. Now, some of that was going to come from, Carter Hart continuing to develop. Hopefully, Brian Elliott was going to stay healthy this year. That, that gamble has paid off as well. And one of the Flyers' biggest problems last year was until Carter Hart came up, was a was a revolving door of goaltenders, and nobody was healthy on top of it. So ju- just having Carter Hart continue to develop was a piece of it. Bringing Matt Niskanen in, that's the kind of move that, that Hexy generally stayed away from, older vet, bringing older veterans in. And that, um, that significantly paid off. I mean, Matt Niskan has been worth his weight in gold to this team. Not just the stats he's put up, but but in terms of his influence on um, Ivan Provorov as a defense partner, in terms of the comic influence he has in the locker room and on the bench, and just in being able to situate your defense pairings. You know, he, he can still pull down 20 minutes a night, and then therefore you know, Travis Sanheim is on the second pair, and they were able to situate things accordingly and also – they brought in Justin Braun, who's who's helped along in those regards too, especially in the penalty kill. Um, you know, Kevin Hayes gave the Flyers depth down the middle. I, I would I would hate to think about where the team would be actually if Kevin Hayes hadn't been brought in. And this is before we even you know knew that Nolan Patrick wasn't going to be able to play this year. Um, you know, I, I don't know where this team would be if it was just Couturier and you know if they had to if they had to go full time with Claude Giroux back at center again, right? So. You know, just just the talent down the middle, the one-two punch with Couturier and Hayes, and then um, you know, subsequently in the deadline they added Derek Grant. But you know, if uh, if Nolan Patrick could come back, that'd be a big positive. Also, other under the radar kind of moves like like bringing in Tyler Pitlick. It was a player I really liked when he played for Dallas. He's been the same player here. And there was a little bit of a gamble involved because he was coming off of wrist surgery, and then actually last summer he got hurt again. And once he settled in after a little bit of a slow start. Pitlick's been an outstanding addition in terms of his forechecking ability, the north-south speed that he brings. And, and um, you know, one thing that all these guys kind of have in common, they brought in the door, have been that they've all been – they're all pretty good two-way players. So, you know, if you if you cut your goals against significantly, that's a big piece of it where you're going to be able to compete most every night. Add the coaching piece into it and the players buying into what Vino's done. That, those have really been the keys. And the biggest thing to me also that he's done is that he's been able to add these elements and he really – he didn't have to tear up the farm system to do it. They still have, you know, good young players in the system and, and draft picks to come. So, you know, for for a first year with the team, you know, I, I can't speak highly enough about what, what Chuck has done. Let's talk about the newest addition to the team, Linus Sandin, who they just signed a few days ago. Can you give us the 411 on what to expect when he hits the Flyers lineup? Yeah, uh, big forward, um, probably you know, right-handed shooting right winger. Um, I wouldn't say that he's going to, score like Oscar Lindblom did. But if you, if, if you picture Oscar's style of play, uh, gets involved, you, you know, down low, gets to the net, wins a lot of battles behind the net. There's a little bit of a uh, little bit of Michael Roffle type in, in him as well. He's a guy you can move around the lineup a little bit. I think he's going to compete for a bottom six role, but he might be a guy you might be able to plug in different places in the lineup as you need to maybe, you know, spend since even, even in the top six, probably not the full-time guy. Um, you know, and and I think that 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 the depth that he brings, again, the, the element of size, his tenacity around the puck, his work ethic, 
Um, he's already going to have a little bit of familiarity with the team, not well, of the team, but with uh, some of his new teammates. Robert Haig is from the same hometown that he is. They train together in the offseason. So he should be a guy who kind of hit, hits the ground running with the team. Um, and he can give you, you know, give you 10, 12 solid minutes a night. Um, over in Sweden, he was playing power play and penalty kill. I don't know that he's going to step right on to specialty teams with the Flyers, but I think I think he'd be groomed to do that and see some PK minutes. And you know, if all goes well, maybe even you know some supplementary second second power play unit. Who who knows? All that remains to be seen. But that's a nice solid depth addition. Also, you know, the Flyers have some uh, free agents to sign this off season, and probably not a lot of cap space to do it with the cap likely to remain flat. So. You know, even though they would like to bring Pitlick back, um, maybe they won't be able to do that. Uh, a guy like Grant, maybe they won't be able to bring back. So, it, you know, uh, he, he's a guy who could step in and address something like that. He's not going to come in and be a, a major impact player, a huge goal scorer, but it, but he's a piece of a puzzle along the same kind of lines as, a, as you know, guys that they've been bringing in. A guy who can come in and, and play the style of hockey that, that Vino wants and play a disciplined brand of hockey as well. So it, it's an, you know, it's a nice, it's a nice little signing. The Flyers had competition. Several other teams are interested and, you know, he'll come over. He's on a one-year deal. So there's no long-term commitment. If it works out great. And if it doesn't, you know, it's, it's one year. You mentioned the, uh, you know, Grant and, and uh, Pitlick, you know, now that they have, uh, they've also signed Wade Allison and Lazinski, who are former draft picks, you know, Chuck Fletcher has done a really good job of giving himself options in the bottom six where, you know, guys like Pitlick and Grant, even though they are playing big roles, they can be replaced. So do you think that walks into the you know, your cap space next year? Maybe that uh, Lazinski and Allison may get a shot as well? Yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, in Allison's case, just because he's missed so much hockey over the last three years, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he spent a little bit of time with the Phantoms. Um, probably not a ton of time, but I mean, yeah, that's a the, you know that that those are guys who can come in and compete for spots. Lashinsky is very uh, mature physically, so is Allison. You know, they're in their they're in their twenties by now. Um, you know, um, and yeah, the, these are guys who who might be in the mix. And as as you said, with the cap considerations, if the cap ceiling remains flat for next year, which what it looks like is probably going to be the case. You know, then you're, you have limited money you can spend, and you you do need some young depth options you can bring in, and you're not, you know, you're not tied into uh, overpaying for for bottom six guys. That's sometimes where a team gets itself in trouble with the cap. You have a player you, you want to keep and you like, and you find them useful, but it's also you know you're also what are you what are you getting for the you know for the salary salary level that you're getting. Um, you, you mentioned Grant. Well, Grant this year signed a, a one year contract. Uh, before he was traded to the Flyers, and he made the NHL minimum this season. I mean, one of the best values in the league. But you know, he has a career-high 15 goals. He's going to be looking to get paid more. And, um, you know, maybe maybe the numbers aren't there, and it seems to be a fairly good chance that, that it won't be. You know, to have a guy like Lashinsky who can come in, can play um, can play center, or he could play a wing as well. Um, so, you know, to have guys that are versatile, guys that uh, – you know, are physically mature and, and have some game to them. I mean, it's definitely, you know, definitely a, a feather in the, the feather in the cap to get them signed in terms of system depth. And listen, these are also guys that that Hexy drafted. So again, you got to give some credit to Ron for that too. 
So the Flyers now have a farm system that, you know, Daniel brought up the names of Allison and Tanner Lazinski. A lot of people are looking forward to see what Igor Zamula brings. We saw Frost a bit at the NHL, but spent the majority of the season in the AHL. You know, the Flyers probably since 2015 have been almost like a factory for producing young NHL talent. You see Travis Sanheim, Ivan Provorov, Travis Konechny. Carter Hart, these are all guys that were drafted in Hextall's first three years in charge in Philadelphia. But now you have a farm system where all of these guys have elevated and graduated to the NHL. So, like, when you look at the current farm system, do you think it has a pool of talent that could match what the Flyers had four or five years ago? And, like, what in general should the fans be expecting from this new crop of prospects? Yeah, um, well, you know, as you said, a lot of these guys have graduated to the NHL. In terms of guys who have really high-end offensive potential, as, as, you know, I'm talking about the forwards. I mean, Morgan Frost would, would be the guy who has the, the highest upside potentially. Morgan has to, you know, get uh, more consistent in his game. He could still get stronger. Um, I don't know whether Morgan's long-term fit is going to be at center or wing. Uh, they, they, they like him at center. Um, it's a little easier defensively to play wing in some regards, so... You know, we'll we'll see we'll see what Morgan's timetable is a year from now. He'll his own play will determine most of that, um, and also I guess Nolan Patrick's situation might dictate some of that as well. Um, you know, in terms of guys who are going to be major impacts, you know, offensive players, there's there's not a lot. I mean, uh, it's going to be a few years I think till Bobby Brink is ready for the NHL, but I think he's going to be a good player. Um, Joel Farabee just turned 20 years old, and he's just scratching the surface. So in a lot of ways, even though he's been at the NHL level most of the season, you know, he still is a prospect in, in a lot of ways, still you know, pretty inexperienced. Um, Cam York, the defenseman the Flyers picked in the first round a year ago, has very high upside um, as an all-around player, but especially as a guy who can help in the power play, skates really well. You know, he, he's a guy to be worth being excited about. He's going to play at least one more year of college hockey, so... Uh, he'll be back with the with Team USA, the World Juniors next next year, uh, and and should see a lot more minutes than he saw this year. This year he hardly played for you know whatever whatever reason, but next year he should play a, a much bigger role on on Team USA. Um, you know, and then there's a guy like uh, Jay O'Brien who's who's a wild card. Um, Flyers took him with one of their two first round picks a year ago, did not work out for him at all at Providence College, and he. Um, Based on the NCAA's transfer rules, he had an option of either sitting out a season or going and playing in an, an amateur league somewhere else. So, you know, he played a year in the the uh, British Columbia League, had some injury issues, but he he dominated that league to a level you would expect somebody was a first round pick to. A little bit older than some of the players in that league. It's not quite like Major Junior. You do have some, you know, some older guys who play there um, before they go on to to play collegiate hockey. So it's not, you know, it's not exactly. It's not exactly the same as the way the major junior systems work, but he'll be he'll be at Boston University next year. It's going to be a really big year from him as um, he'll still be you know he'll still be officially a sophomore. I think the Flyers will have a better sense of what they have in him, um, you know, a, a season from now. So to me, he's kind of a wild card type. Um, you know, they have they have some other defensive prospects in the system. Um, Wyatt Wiley just signed, um, you know, his first professional contract he's a guy they see as a penalty killing type um he did put up numbers as a as a junior player this year but they're not expecting him to be an offensive guy at, at the pro level 
So there are, you know, these are all any number of, of pretty good prospects they have in the system. Plus, it's going to put some other guys on the Phantoms as well. Um, Isaac Ratcliffe is a year removed from being a 50 goal scorer in the, uh, you know, the Ontario League, and he had his ups and downs as first year AHL player. It's still going to be a little bit of a process with him. But, um, you know, a lot of times those, those big forwards take time to develop, and he showed signs in the second half of the season, in a pretty tough season for the Phantoms at that, you know, of starting to come around. So, you know, there, there are guys there who can, can help, you know, who definitely bolster the system and, you know, and have the potential to develop. Frost, to me, is still the guy who excites me the most among the forwards, as I said. So, you know, there, there are guys who can play, but, uh, you know, but there are, there are, there's not the same number of, High-end guys, just because the Flyers, the Flyers picked a run of forwards pretty high in the draft, right? The Konechnys and you know and Farabee and, and those kind of guys. So, um, so the system depth is pretty good. It's not as not as high-end as it was a year or two ago, but it, but it's in good shape. And you know, they the Flyers needed to get some more defensive in the system because they were in kind of a transitional phase with some of the D. So they you know, they went D with their first pick of the draft this year, and, and I think I think they have a good one. I said in New York, so. You know, we'll see where that all that goes. But I think that if you look on a league-wide basis, the Flyers are still solidly, you know, in the, the top third of the league in terms of prospects. Maybe one of the more interesting things heading into the offseason is the goaltending. You know, Carter Hart still has you know, one year left on ZLC, but Brian Elliott's contract is up at the end of the year. Do you think that they go with Elliott again for next season, or do you think they look out uh, into the market, maybe pursuing somebody like Lanier or, or maybe a Grease, uh, Thomas Grice, Halak, Anton Kadobin, or somebody like that? And when I when I talk to um, when I talk to Chuck Fletcher about that, you know they're they're happy they're happy with the arrangement with Elliot. Uh, he gets along well with uh, Carter. He's well respected on the team. As long as he stays healthy and the numbers are are right for both sides, I think they're going to go one more year with him. Um, you know he does have some recent injury history, so we'll see. And you know if someone were to you know if some other team were to say, hey, we have more games for you, you never you never know what could happen. But I think the most likely scenario is that they go one more year with Elliot. So, Bill, a common trend that comes up when you talk about the current Philadelphia Flyers, and it's happened with us as we've been discussing, you know, the new players and the prospect is, and the prospects rather, is Ron Hextel. And I think when you look at his tenure as GM, the first seventy-five percent of it was a plus. You know, he he rectified the cap situation. He cleared out a lot of older contracts in doing so. He drafted all of these high-end prospects who right now make up much of the core on the team. What exactly went wrong in the Ron Hextall regime, given how many positives he still that still linger on this team as a result of his tenure? And how was it resulted of, of how the Flyers' upper management is run as a whole? Well, I, I think that there were... There were several pieces to it, you know. Um, I think there was some impatience to accelerate the push to, you know, to try to get a little further than sneaking into the first round of the playoffs. Um, you know, there. I think that, you know, over the course of those number of years, the Flyers got in twice, even at a 98-point season in the mix. But I think there was an expectation, particularly going into last season. And, and you know, he did he did sign James Van Riemsdyk, so that was a, that was a pretty aggressive you know, aggressive move there, but there were, there were opportunities to do things. I think similar to what Chuck Fletcher did, where you're not tearing up your farm system, but you're also, you know, you're also bringing in some veteran stability and, and you're not, you're not 
giving up the, you know, listen, you know, there are a lot of years there, you know, the, uh, where Claude Giroux takes, takes heat sometimes, you know, and Voracek takes heat and Victoria doesn't really take a lot of heat, but I mean, you know, you say, oh, well, this, this has been your core group and you can't get out of the first round. Well, to me, the only reason the Flyers were even a bubble team where they even got into the playoffs was because those guys were, you know, were high-end players and you gave up a lot of their prime years, you know, uh, during the rebuild. And I understand the necessity of it, but I think it's, I think it got to be a point of time where, okay, are we a year away? Are we, you know, are we ready now? And um, I know a lot of people bring up the coaching piece of it. Um, from everything that I've been told on and off the record, the plan initially was to hopefully give Dave Haxel the rest of last season, but then things went so so off the rails. And it's it's kind of unfair to leave your coach twisting in the wind anyway, where, you know, most GMs bring in their own guy. So, you know, they, they did finish the – they finished uh, the year with Scott Gordon as his interim head coach, but uh, I think I think Chuck came in prepared to uh, to give Hack the rest of the rest of last year. But I think there would have been a coaching change, quite honestly, at the end of the year. Um, and I do think they would have looked for somebody more experienced. I think that was that was a piece of it too. I don't think I don't think Ron was ever under the gun. Okay, you got to get rid of Hack. I just think that uh, it was part of a general dissatisfaction with the rate of progress, right? And then there. Then there are various internal things too, because there's there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure, and, and you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? So that um, it's you know there were there were some internal issues um, within various departments, and you know between Hexy and, and management, and just you know things things kind of fell apart on, on those fronts as well. Um, you know, when when Ron was up for the uh, Minnesota Wild job. Um, because a lot of the a lot of the same issues that pushed Ron out were some of the same issues that, that pushed Fenton out in uh, in Minnesota. So I didn't know if Ron was going to be the right fit in Minnesota, unless he you know had changed his thinking on, on some key areas. And of course, they ended up hiring Billy Guerin. I think it's a matter of time though until Ron gets his next shot in in the NHL. Um, you know if, whether it's a team that's looking to rebuild or just you know Ron Ron's a really bright guy. He's a very reflective guy, and for you know, for whatever heat Ron got as being um, overly controlling, micromanaging, you you would hear those terms. You know, I mean, I, I worked with Ron on a somewhat limited basis as a website writer, but I will truthfully say that, and, and Ron read everything he would write. I never felt censured by Ron. I always felt Ron was supportive. He was always accessible to me and always, you know, always shot straight with me, you know? And I can only I can only speak for my own dealings. All, all I can say is that, you know, I, I didn't find... I didn't find that he tried to control the flow of information or anything like that, tried to control the messaging. I mean, that being said, though, I mean, you know, some of the changes that were brought about not being able to talk to the assistant coaches, you know, um, not really wanting the assistant general manager to talk, wanting the message to come from Ron or come from the head coach. I mean, those those were areas that were, you know, I mean, it, it was different than uh, than Paul Holmgren was. Um different than other general managers are as well. But I mean, I, I think when you, when you weigh everything that Ron did as you know, a first time general manager, I think he did a, he did a nice job. And, you know, honestly, if, if you look back in Flyers history, I, uh, it might be before you guys time, but Flyers had a general manager named Russ Farwell um, in between Bob Clark's two tenures as general manager. And Farwell was a, was a very good drafter. He, he'd been the general manager of Seattle in the, uh, in the Western hockey league. And during the period of time that he was general manager, a lot of the a lot of the 
good players that came up in the mid nineties when Bob Clark came back were guys who were drafted by Farwell or Farwell moved them in trades and, and assembled the pieces that, uh, you know, that, that Bob Clark built on. I think you're seeing a similar kind of thing here. So I think that, uh, you know, there are a lot of learning experiences. Um, you know, all tenures have to come to an end. I, I wish it wasn't so messy with Ron and I'm speaking, you know, you know, very honestly, I, I, it just, it didn't feel very good the way it all went down. You know, uh, you, you hear two sides, two sides of the story. There's really three sides to every story. And the, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. And it, you know, it was kind of painful when you have people that you like on, on both sides and, you know, the relationship fell apart. Um, hockey reasons and, you know, and just, just day-to-day kind of reasons. So I, yeah, it, it's a very complicated thing. There's no one or two things. Um, I, I think the one big conclusion is communication is vital. And I think the communication broke down um, but between, you know, between the two sides. And that's, uh, you know, so that's not just one person's fault. So, I, I mean, that um, I don't know how helpful that is, how much clarity that gives, but I think it's a, you know, I think that hopefully expresses some of the complexity of it. Uh, you wrote a piece today on Phil Myers, who has been just an absolute joy to watch develop, you know, in, in the AHL, and now he's you know taking the biggest step to the NHL. What do you realistically think his ceiling is? Because he seems to be just a jack of all trades kind of player. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, he for a guy guy with his size and and his mobility, I, th- I think he's a little more than that. Um, you know, he's still he still is a young player in the league. He's played seventy something games, so. You know, he was a guy who was undrafted originally, still a, a lot of raw materials to put together. And defensemen tend to take longer to mature. You know, I, I think that uh, his his mobility is is very high end in combination with his size, his ranginess, as I was talking about in, in the article itself. Um, his offensive game is still pretty raw, but you see some hints of it, right? He had goals in three games in a row at one point. I don't think he's ever going to be a power play one guy as a pro. Maybe not even power play two, but he'll chip in some goals here and there. I think as you go along, you'll see him play a bigger role in the penalty kill than he plays right now. And I, and I do see him as being a guy because uh, you know saw that saw that with the Phantoms. I think he's going to grow into the same thing as same thing with the Flyers. As being a guy who can give you twenty minutes a night much of the time, um, you know, give some physicality. So you know, I, I think he can be above average in, in a lot of different areas. And again, in terms of just the size, strength, and mobility, he's way above average. So that's, uh, you know, that the he, he's an intriguing young player, and I think he's one of those guys who's kind of scratched the surface of what he can do. I think he's going to continue to get better, um, but I don't think he's ever going to be be a big point producer. I know some people seem to think that. I don't. I don't. I don't see that for him. But I see him as being a a guy who plays on the second pairing, hopefully with Travis Sanheim, keep them together for. A whole lot of years. That's a pretty exciting pairing for you know, the combination of skills and speed that they bring. You know, you brought up Phil Myers and his potential ceiling, and he joins a defensive core that is amongst the best in the NHL. You know, it's no secret that the Flyers were anchored this season from how good their defense played. You know, Provorov and Niskanen, Sanheim and Myers, Justin Braun. Those five really were the core and the nucleus of probably the best defensive group we've seen on the Flyers since the days of Chris Pronger and Kimo Tiemann, along with Matt Carlin and Coburn. But one big talking point that still lingers even with the season on pause is the number six defenseman. You know, for the majority of the season, it was Robert Hag, and by all accounts, he played very, very well. But there's still a, 
a certain group, particularly in the analytical world, that really have something against Robert Haig and are in favor of Shane Gossesbeer, who has just been on a downward spiral for almost 24 months. What does Robert Haig bring to the team in the eyes of the coaches and his teammates that maybe the fans don't see? And in what terms do you think is James uh, Shane Gossesbeer's standpoint right now with the Flyers? And does he have a future long term with the team? Uh, let me let me tackle the ghost part of it first. Um, you know, I think over the long term, the Flyers see um, Cam York as being a, a more well-rounded version of Ghost. Um, he'll, he'll give you, you know, he'll give you a, a guy who who plays in all game situations. But I don't I don't think York is going to be ready a, a year from now. I think he's still going to need a little time in the AHL. Certainly needs to mature physically. So Ghost. Ghost still has some time here, but I but I don't think Ghost is going to be a guy who spends his whole career here, right? So, you know, I, I don't think Ghost is untouchable by any means. Um, the fact that he's not that he's spent a significant amount of time this year as a healthy scratch does tell you something. It tells you about you know the confidence level that AV ha- has in him. And listen, you know, I mean, I think we've seen Ghost play at a very high level at times in his career, his rookie year, his third year, even you know, even in some of his up and down years. You know, there have been stretches of seasons where he's looked pretty solid, too. So, you know, I'm, I'm not closing the book on Ghost. I, I think that, um, you know, when, he, when he's playing at the top of his game, playing with confidence, Ghost is a guy who, who needs to be producing points to be playing, playing well in other areas. So, you know, I, I think he's a guy who can help the team. He could help the team if they, you know, they are able to resume the season and go in the playoffs. You know, we could have a, a playoff series where, you know, he does get out of the power play and he gets you a couple big goals. And, you know, I mean, I, I think that he's a player who it's been a disappointment this year. Last year wasn't what he wanted either. But, uh, you know, I don't think he's he's done as an effective player in the NHL and he still has something to contribute to. But clearly, you know, clearly right now he's not, uh, you know, he's not a, a guy who, you know, Vino is leaning on. I mean, he even when Ghost recovered from the knee injury, they were still running Robert Haig out every game. So, you know, so I, I think he's a guy whose future is in flux. Um, as, as for Haig, you know, there, there, there are different things that coaches value than, than the analytics people necessarily value. Um, there are some guys who they don't care one iota what the analytics say. And that's, that's just the truth. There are guys they do care about that for, and they'll look, they'll look at it and, and whatever. Um, you know, Vino, as well as any other coach, can look at expected goals. He can look at Corsi. He can look at Fenwick. He can look at any, you know, any of those metrics that, that get that get cited. Um, Robert Haig, they want out there um, to help block shots, uh, to to battle along the walls, you know, be be a player who plays a pretty simple game. And you know, he, I mean, he's not he's not there for his offense, but you know, he'll chip in the, an odd goal here or two. But that's that's not why he's in or, or out of the lineup. Um, if you could find a, you know, a, a version of Robert Haig that, that moves the puck better, but gives you some of those other same elements too, then, you know, then he could be out of the lineup. I mean, he, you know, after Robert started all 82 games last year and, uh, started, I think he, the first 70 for, for Haxel the year before that, before he got hurt and then sat a little bit at the end of that season, you know, this is, uh, this has been, so what, four coaches now who he's been a regular starter for. And uh, coaches don't care what previous coaches, you know, have done. They, they've looked at him and they've seen him as a guy who belongs in their lineup. So, 
you know, I, I, I think that, um, I think Robert is a guy who just keep tries to keep his game simple. Um, but listen, there, there's clear areas where he has to improve. Right. Um, and, and I know from, from Scott Gordon talking about it, it's, you know, not so much off the boards and out with the puck. He had to get better in retrievals, just taking a simple peek over his shoulder at who was coming, taking, taking a little extra second to, to see where you're, where you're going with the puck, what passing options might be there. You know, when Robert first joined the, uh, the Phantoms as a 19 year old, you know, he, he kind of, uh, was viewed as a guy with, with as an offensive minded defenseman in a lot of ways. He'd been a, a power play guy. Uh, his draft year in 2013, International Scouting Services rated him third offense, you know, in offense from the blue line. So he had to change what he did because he was turning a lot of pucks over, trying to be a little too aggressive with the puck. And they made him more, you know, and some, some of it is Shell Samuelson's influence too because Shell said, listen, you know, you're, you're a big, strong guy. Um, you know, you are, your best play is not with the puck, so be an off-puck guy. And um, that's what he's focused on doing, simplifying his game, you know, making making the ten foot pass rather than trying to make the stretch pass. And uh, so, you know, he's not he's not a high end puck mover. He's not a not a star. He's a foot soldier. But I mean, he does he does bring to a lineup some some of the things that um, you know coaches look for. For example, you know, and, and I know you know I know it's not a popular thing in analytics either. Um, Robert Hag, if you look at in terms of board pins. Pinning his guy to the wall, which does mean someone else has to go get the puck, you know. But he's he's effective at that, and and coaches still appreciate at least having one guy in the lineup who does things like that. And when you have enough guys who can move the puck, and the Flyers do have that, you know, a, a guy will have a spot in the lineup. So you know, again, Robert Hague is a kind of a foot soldier type. Is the guy is the guy who might see move down to a number seven role. If, if someone else comes in off the season, off season, sure. He's a guy who's going to be playing for his job, but, uh, you know, but, but, uh, I, you know, I, I'm not in line with any of the, uh, you know, worst defensemen in the NHL, whatever that's guys, a guy who's the worst defenseman in the NHL does not play regularly for, for four coaches. He just doesn't. So, you know, I, I think Haig just, just plays a particular role. that's not very geared towards being strong analytically. And, you know, you, you can have a guy like that in your line, but if you have enough guys who do the other things, and that's really, you know, how I would sum it up. But the uh, the current, you know, obviously the current events we find ourselves in are, are very fluid, but, you know, do you think that we see a, a continuation of the season, a finalization for the season? Obviously, you know, something new happens every day, and every week there seems to be some new scheme, some plan to bring the league back and, and finish the games, you know, in, in empty arenas, but whatever, do you think that this kind of comes to a mount? It seems like no matter what happens, that there's going to be some team, some bubble team that's unhappy, or they're going to be treated unfair, or going to be left out, you know, so with that in mind, you know, even with all the TV rights and stuff, do you think that they'd pick up the season if they're allowed to? Yeah, I, I do, and I, and um, you know they want to get they want to get regular season games in. Um, I don't know personally if it were just my choice, I would move into a postseason scenario sooner than later. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see them have a as close to a regular off season as they can. Uh, I don't want to see next season delayed by too much. There's not going to be a perfect scenario where you know every team is going to be happy. I mean, there are going to be teams that are on the bubble that are going to miss out, and you know, it's just it's not going to be it's not going to be ideal, even if they and if they expand the playoff format, as has also been discussed as a possibility. There's going to be some team that, you know, 
would be out of the playoffs that all of a sudden will get hot at just the right time. And all of a sudden, as opposed to being out of the playoffs, they find themselves, you know, throwing a scare in some team, maybe winning a round or two. Who knows? You know, any, anything can happen in, in the postseason. But with the length of the, of the delay, I mean, it does increase the chance that, uh, you know, everybody's kind of starting all over again. Any momentum the team's had is kind of out the window. So I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I mean, it makes for it makes for a lot of intrigue as far as I see it. But, the you know, there's also the financial piece of it, too. The, uh, you know, games mean revenue. Even if, even in empty buildings, there's TV revenue. So uh, I think they're going to they're going to look at every possibility and you know, go deep into the summer, even, you know, even to September if they had to, to finish it. So I think that as long as the, uh, as long as the situation is one that permits them to do that and, you know, play in empty arenas, maybe the, maybe four buildings as they've talked about, I think they're going to try all out to be able to do that. So Bill, just one last one for you here, and then we'll let you go. You know, Given where the Flyers were before the season's pause, we were all kind of wondering how far is this team from legitimately scratching on the surface of a bona fide Stanley Cup contender. And like I just mentioned earlier, I think it's fair to say that the Flyers were anchored by their defense for much of this season where went through parts when they got a lot of inconsistent offense. So do you think heading into next season, whenever that may be, that a guy like Alex Pietrangelo would be an option for Chuck Fletcher? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see the cap money being there. To be, to be truthful, uh, I think that um, you know every year you reassess the window, um, you know, uh, and, and just allow allow me to uh, fantasize here for a second. Let let's say that uh, let's say that Nolan Patrick is able to come back, and uh, you go you go into the postseason, and Patrick is your third center, and Grant is your fourth center, you know. Well, I'll tell you, a, a one, two, three, four down the middle of Couturier, Hayes, Patrick, Grant, that's a Stanley Cup group, caliber group in terms of depth down the middle, especially when you have a guy like Lott and you could move back in if you have to. And, you know, that, then all of a sudden, uh, Dave Thompson is, is your 13th forward. So, you know, little variables like that. Um, goaltending is always crucial. If Carter Hart has a, has a great series or, you know, steals a few games as you need him to. You know, you can win. I, I mean, I, I don't. I don't think they're very far. I, I think one thing that you saw, you know, look in the postseason last year, and how many top teams got upset, in you know, especially in the first round, right? Um, and or look at a team like St. Louis that had the worst record in the league in January, and you know, about seven, eight days in January, had the worst record in the league. Well, they get hot at just the right time, and they go all the way and they win the Stanley Cup, and they're a top team again this year. They're, the gap between the haves and the have-nots is not as much as people think. So, you know, would the Flyers be a favorite to win the Cup now or even a year from now? No, but they would. To me, the, to me, they'll be in that mix of teams as long as you stay healthy in the right positions. But uh, in terms of adding a guy like Petrangelo, I just don't. I just don't see the, the money being there, especially with, with a flat cap. I mean, if you do that, you're you're plugging one spot. You're potentially ripping other holes too. So you got to keep that in mind as well. So I don't, you know, I don't I don't see teams making too many big moves this offseason, especially as they're figuring out um, what they're able to do. But I mean, I think the Flyers are are have turned a bit of a corner. They have a little bit of a window of time while guys like Voracek and and Giroux are still young enough to, if not put up huge numbers, but still be important contributing parts to a Cup contender. 
And then the next step is you're going to have to have guys, you know, some of these young guys stepping into those bigger roles to to stay where you're at and potentially move beyond that. But, uh, you know, but uh, I think that this Flyers team is the real deal in terms of being a really good club that should get better. And, um, you know, the, you have like you have Niskanen for another year. Hopefully he has another strong year left in him. And you know, by that point, then some of your young defensemen are experienced defensemen. So, you know, there, there's a plan in place. Um, no one has a crystal ball to say how well that'll work out, but I think I think it's going to be a good hockey team for quite some time. All right. Well, Bill, thank you so much for joining us uh, this afternoon. In case there are any of our listeners that don't know, and I don't know why they wouldn't, but uh, where can they find you on Twitter and where can they uh, read your writing at? On Twitter, it's just at Bill Meltzer. Um, uh, my writing is largely in, in three different places. Um, the Flyer, Philadelphia Flyers website, which is philadelphiaflyers.com or flyers.nhl.com. Um, fly, I'm the content manager for the Flyers Alumni Association, and we're at uh, flyersalumni.org. And I've for, geez, it's getting, I guess, 14 years now, I've been, I've been in Hockey Buzz, and I'm the Flyers blogger there. I formerly also used to blog in the Dallas Stars, but I've focused exclusively on the Flyers the last few years. So you find me at any of those places, and I'm... And, Pretty much have content every single day. All right. Well, Bill, thank you very much. Uh, as for everybody else, Anthony and I will be back a little later with a uh, Flyers AD, so we'll talk about uh, the Flyers 17-18 season there. But until then, everybody, goodbye and good night.